0: dedicated to the DC aeroverse on the CW network it's save this city a flash and arrow podcast and now here's your host Matt Murdock and welcome to save this city podcast it's episode 13 of the podcast where we're covering Flash Season 2, Episode 12, Fastlane, and Arrow Season 4, Episode 12, Unchained. My name is Matt Murdick, and I am from SaveThisCityPodcast.wordpress.com. That's your one-stop shop for all things this podcast, like the back episodes. You can also find my social media information, contact links, and podcatcher links. And please take the time to leave me a review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcatcher app you use to help me stay more noticeable among all of the other great podcasts that cover these series. And I will thank you in this spot if you do so. Not much else to say about the podcast, except that if you have feedback, which I've been lacking as well for this podcast or regarding any of the episodes that we've been watching this year, feel free to send an email to savethiscitypodcast at gmail.com, or you can call the listener line, 314-669-1840, or you can tweet at Save this City pod on Twitter. I'm always happy to take your feedback and share it with the rest of our listeners. Let's get into talking about these episodes, because they were fantastic. It is February, which means it is Sweeps Month, which means we probably have a month of fantastic episodes ahead of us. And at least as far as Flash and Arrow goes, uh, they got off to a really good start, in my opinion. And we'll start with Flash Season 2, Episode 12, Fast Lane. The story was by Brooke Elkmeyer-Roberts and a teleplay by Kai Wu and Joe Perichio. And it was directed by Rachel Talele. And uh, again, all of these new names for me um, this year has been a challenge for me to even know who's directing and who's writing on some of these things. And then you see them crossing over on all of the episodes that Berlanti produces ultimately uh, in one shape or form, seems like, especially the directors. Maybe not so much the writers, but uh, especially the directors. At any rate, let's get to talking about this episode. It was fantastic. I have three words Tom friggin' Kavanaugh. I mean, this episode was absolutely amazing to me, and I even liked the Wally stuff, but I have to, once again, just give credit to Tom Kavanaugh and the writers for creating this amazing, conflicted Wells character. This episode, where he had finally come up with how to take Barry's speed and is seemingly going down the complete dark path, and then... Wells facing up to what he did because of the success he and Barry had gotten with closing the breaches and how that made him, I don't know if he felt bad uh, for what he was doing to Barry or if he just realized it wasn't the right thing because Barry was showing so much um, trust in him up to that point. But this was an amazing uh, journey both for him and for Barry. And I'll get to the Barry stuff in a second, but. Every single scene with Harry was just amazing this week. I know I keep using that word, but it really was. Uh, he figures it out. He he admits to Barry that he will betray him even as he's doing so. He tries so hard to get Barry away from him so that he doesn't have to feel conflicted about what he's doing to Barry. And every single scene just tells the story of this what ultimately becomes this truly courageous man, in my own opinion. Um, the section where he admits what he's done, that was so awesome. And not betraying character at all because he delivers it in such a matter-of-fact way. The way that Wells has been delivering everything to everybody this whole season. Um, there's no betrayal of character. They didn't make it overdramatic or anything like that. They made it perfect. And while Barry is stunned uh by the news, you know, and he's shocked and he's asking questions, um, Joe coming over there to punch him, that was exactly the right call for the show to do because his experiment with Barry is how Joe nearly lost Iris. Um and that punch and, and hauling him down to the cell was the exact appropriate response because Barry is just still there stunned He's kind of made this whole effort to not make Wells the same as Thawne and it all just gets taken out from under him right there. Uh, the whole scene when Wells admits to Barry what he's done, that just made my jaw drop because I, I feel like that that was one of the most superhero moments of the episode to me, maybe even of the show uh, in general leading up to that moment when he was speaking with zoom and he kind of stood off with him about no more speed force. um, That seemed to kind of tip the hat as to what he was going to ultimately do. But in the end, his solution to the team about shutting down the breaches and, and deciding to, to fight zoom on his own, that was heroic as well. And then you, you think about the role that Barry played in all of this. I mean, Barry really never, ever gave up on Wells from the time that Wells got there. He accepted him. And then in this episode, it's really magnified because there are bits about sealing the breaches with Barry doing the speed reading. Um, That was funny. It was annoying, as Wells said. Um, and, And Wells trying to get Barry to go away because he was feeling conflicted. And yet Barry, despite all of this rejection that Wells is throwing at him, he's still working on it. Um, I I love also that Barry found that piece of information that he needed uh, in past research on Earth One to help Wells, and most of all, you know Barry understanding where Harry is coming from in regards to his daughter. That was a fantastic conclusion for this, and um, very superhero of Barry. As well, I, I feel like for the first time, everyone is on equal footing within Star Labs. At least from the point where the drag race got Iris Hurt um, through the end of this episode, everything really took on an epic tone. And it was all thanks to the, the great acting of everybody involved, but especially Tom Cavanaugh. Now, as for Tar Pit himself, I, I was not all that impressed uh, by that metahuman to be perfectly honest, neither in looks nor really in motivation. Um, I guess they had to have a case of the week, so that seemed to fit. And Tar Pit, I guess he did serve as the catalyst for everything else, so at least it worked on kind of like a functional level, if nothing else. Really, I guess the most impressive thing about Tar Pit, as far as what he did in the episode, was the drag race, um, and that kind of brings me to the stuff about Iris and, and don't get me wrong. I love Iris, but she's really sticking her neck out somewhat foolishly in, in regards to, to bring in, trying to bring down this drag race leader. I did love the motivation for it, of course, because you have Joe who admits that he's more scared of pushing Wally away than any fear he really has about Wally getting hurt. But Iris kind of has to play mommy. She's she's addressing this all head on and in a very strong way. I don't want you to think that because I'm saying what she does is foolish, it would be foolish for anybody. That doesn't mean weak. It just means very just straight into the fold. And at least she was smart enough to record herself while talking to that drag racing head. And I have to say that it was a little convenient for him to be part of the whole tar pit murder's motivation. But oh well, I, I can get over that because they're all just a bunch of two-bit criminals. But because of that tie, it informed everyone else about the larger thing with Wells indirectly. So it made as a, again, a nice catalyst for everything. Now, I have to say I never felt any real peril for Iris uh, when the glass hitter. First of all, it was way too early in the episode and I know that they try to amp everything up with promos and because they were amping it up so heavily in the promos before the episode aired um, this past week, it it just made it too obvious that she was going to be just fine. Plus, they just shipped Patty off. So, you know, Barry has to have somebody to fall in love with somewhere down the line this season. And, uh, you know, when she does get hurt, I, I, I think that, the nice thing uh, from another Catalyst standpoint is that we actually see maybe the real Wally come out. I guess I also, also ought to say just about that drag race scene. Um, it seems like the show spent all of their visual effects budget on that drag race sequence. Because Tar look just really didn't do it for me. He didn't even look that good. And even when Zoom was like torturing Wells uh, for that moment to demonstrate what he was going to do to Wells' daughter that didn't even seem really all that um, great looking either. But the drag race sequence did look fantastic. Uh, The great visuals there. Um, And that was a really epic superhero, straight out of the comics kind of thing. It was awesome. Um, Back to Iris and and Wally, I guess. The the moment that they shared in the hospital room, that was nice. And, And for the first time in a while... I'm going to choose not to call Wally uh, what I have been calling him, which is Wishy Wally. Though, I I guess it was a little cheesy in terms of the explanation as to why Wally is the way he is. You know, the whole riding around with mom and everything. It was satisfying enough, I, I think. And the talk between Joe and Wally before that at the hospital, that was good too. And it was nice to see Joe finally getting a handle on how to address Wally because obviously in Iris's eyes, the prior relationship between Joe and Wally wasn't going good. I think as far as Iris goes, his admission to Iris made up for that. And I'm still not seeing that this is going to be one big happy family um, kind of thing that's going to be going on anytime soon between them. I I think there's still some differences they'll have to iron out, Uh, but they are a step closer and the back and forth of whether Wally hates Joe and Iris or or does he really need them um maybe that'll temper down a little bit because it's just been to too much extremes ever since Wally was first introduced and i'm hoping that that gets better now there were lots of little humorous moments also from Cisco and even a couple from Caitlin in this app I I have to say, it still feels to me like they haven't really given Caitlyn much to do. She hasn't been anything other than somewhat of an expositional fill-in girl this season. You know, when we need a little bit of exposition, she seems to have the line. Except maybe when Jay's around, uh, which, I you know, I guess for this episode, he's just off moping around somewhere again. But, oh well. Um I'd almost rather have that at this point than some of the cheesy stuff that's going on between the two of them. The problem is, is it does continue to delay what the end result might be for Barry. If Zoom were to steal Barry's speed, we've got to figure out a solution for for Jay's uh, chromosome problem, which was even introduced in the fact that Wells had taken some of, of Barry's speed force away. It was nice to have Barry drop in at least a couple of lines about Patty, so it doesn't seem like she's just been totally abandoned just because she's off screen. I guess the whole song and and beating heart thing was a little cheesy at the beginning, but don't we all get a little cheesy when we lose someone due to circumstances out of our control? I'm still hoping that they do bring Patty back at some point in the future, and I, I haven't figured out. If this was because the actress found a better gig or if this is because um, the showrunners decided to do this, Um, I'm satisfied with where it's at right now, but I would still love to have Patty come back because I love her. She's awesome. And I guess that's all I have to say for Flash this week. Um, Gotta go somewhere in the high eights just for all of the well stuff alone. And there was nothing really else about the episode that overly offended me or made me groan too much. So uh, let's, let's go like 8.8. It was a really strong episode for me. I really, really liked it. And on one last note on Flash, if you haven't heard the news, there's going to be a Flash Supergirl crossover episode at the end of March, airing, I guess, on the Supergirl show. And I'll talk more about that in the feedback section because we did get some feedback regarding that news. Let's move on to talking about Arrow, and that is Season 4, Episode 12, Unchained, and this one was written by one of my favorite names ever, Speedweed and Beth Schwartz, and it was directed by Kevin Fair, who I think used to do some Smallville episodes back in the day. How many characters from the past can you possibly fit into a single show and still be satisfying? I guess if you're the show Arrow, as many as you damn well please. I mean, wow. you got Roy Harper coming back. Nisa gets in the game. Tatsu is back. Oh, that's not enough? Shadow is in the freaking flashbacks. I mean, how this episode didn't get overly cluttered to me is beyond explanation. But it really didn't. The episode flowed really smooth. and each scene, I was just sitting there... Like salivating. It's like, oh my gosh, we got this character. Wait, let's go back and see that character again. And then the show just delivered it in an amazing way. You even got the surprise of the character of Calculator. You get an appearance by Dark's wife. You get Malcolm Merlin. So many characters. You would think it would just clutter it all up, but it didn't. Somehow they managed to make it all work by the time you got to the end of the episode. At least to me. And I'm actually going to start with the flashbacks, which is something that I usually say as an afterthought. But let's start with Shadow and the flashbacks. For the first time and gosh, I, since I don't know when, I thoroughly enjoyed every single minute of an island flashback. I think mainly because it seemed to me that it had a stronger thematic tie to the main story of the episode regarding Oliver and, you know, his tendency to carry everyone's weight on his own shoulders and the need for him to be able to stop doing that. I I guess while the fact that it was a hallucination yet a rock from that hallucination magically appears in his physical world that that's a little bit unexplainable right now, but that seems to be the thrust of the whole mystical or supernatural aspect of the story this year. So I'm going to refrain from nitpicking that, um, just because Oliver at the very beginning of the season says, oh, there's something mystical going on with Damian Dark. And it's obviously all tied together in some way, shape, or form. We're going to have to wait till the end of the season or until Oliver faces off with Dark at some point in order to get that. But the huge thing, and why I loved having Shadow come back, is to have her help Oliver with all of this psychological stuff. It was a great callback, not only to her helping train him, And even a nice indirect callback to her own father, who Oliver first encountered on the island. But the lessons that both Shadow and her father were teaching Oliver back in the day were not just physical. They were spiritual. And they were philosophical in a lot of ways. And once Oliver first got off the island uh, and was dumped into Hong Kong, I, I felt like Oliver had drifted from that. But... Here, Shadow's point is really hit home, he, that he has to go through this darkness by facing it head-on and, and defeating it. And thus, he has this admission to the woman that he's helping out about the fact that he killed her brother. And believe me, that was way overdue. I was sick of that hanging in the air. The only nitpick that I could possibly find about the flashbacks is looking at it on, on a long-term just television series aspect because here Oliver you know it seems like he's going to try and get himself straight in terms of uh, being dark or whatever trying to go through the darkness but when Oliver gets back from the island in season one he is in a very dark place so if he's fighting his way through the darkness right now then that means that there has to be a point where they flip it back so that his character is consistent when the island time finally meets up with the star city time of season one right? So that, that might be my one nitpick about the flashbacks this time around. But it was super fantastic to see Selena Jade back, uh, albeit briefly. Another character that we got some, I guess, at the very beginning of the season, but we hadn't seen since because she's been sitting in a gel cell, not eating, evidently, Nisa. Uh, Katrina Law is another one of these actresses that just rocks my world when she does the badass fighting stuff. And the action sequences of her and whoever was helping her out there getting out of Nanda Parbat, that was super cool. Uh, great martial arts sequences. I did feel, as the episode was going on, I felt pretty confused about how her story was going to tie into everything else. For Well, right, pretty much up until the end of the episode, because I guess I just couldn't see the forest for the trees was only when she kind of made her condition to Oliver about giving the Lotus to him that I found the reason why her and Tatsu would even have any common ground at all. Why Tatsu would even take the time to listen to Nisa and the fact that Nisa had gotten there obviously meant that Tatsu had um, at least agreed to negotiate for the Lotus. I'm not sure if Nisa really has it or not, or if she's just saying that to Oliver, but, Tatsu and Nisa have been on opposite sides for, well, since all of nearly season three, right? But when that condition that Oliver has to kill Malcolm is laid out there, then it all makes perfect sense. Um, The Malcolm thing is the thing, maybe the one thing that Tatsu would agree to. And even having Tatsu back was pretty fantastic for me because I felt like her character really got kind of short-changed during the flashbacks of season three all it did was build to the potential of her and her husband having to show down and that being the only payoff just wasn't very satisfying um and i have to say that all of the flashbacks of season three wasn't nearly as interesting as these short scenes that we had tatsu in this episode she looked so badass man that was so cool And because of that, I I, I love that their skills were evenly matched. There's no death required here, which is even better. That means we can get both characters more, uh, hopefully, sometime in the future. Since Malcolm is kind of the one thing between the two of them that they can probably agree on, um, let's go ahead and explore that dynamic uh, of Nisa's condition to Oliver. Because for the first time in a long while, you got the sense at the end of the episode, that there was actual, real, mutual respect between Oliver and Malcolm that wasn't based on enemy status or even a tolerated enemy status. Um, When you look at the way that these two guys have faced off time after time after time in this series, and they've even had to be occasional allies, if only for the sake of convenience. When you get to this bit with, Malcolm helping Oliver to take some of that burden off of his shoulders regarding Thea. And then Oliver genuinely thanking Malcolm for that. That was huge, man. But, hey, you know, you can't have Oliver and Malcolm be actual friends now, can you? And thus you get the Nisa getting to Oliver really at his most vulnerable time as Thea is at her worst. So I suppose you could say that Thea getting her new problem with the bloodlust and and Nisa getting out with this condition, that might have been a little bit convenient in terms of the plot line. But again, I just really didn't care because the episode just flowed together so well and kept building and building. It all worked as far as I was concerned. And now we have this new dynamic to add to the mix with all of this. Like I said, it is sweeps month for the network. So you're to see strong and, and probably pretty twisted episodes in February but this episode really amped everything up and even beyond the dynamic between Oliver and Malcolm and what that's going to mean in the future you can possibly take what's going on in the flash forward to apply here Oliver in the flash forward does talk about responsibility which was used a lot in this episode I have to end him is it possible that the only way he can save Thea, uh, regardless of who's in that grave, uh, is to end Malcolm? Could Malcolm be the target of killing? Uh, Could Felicity hate Malcolm that much? Or is Thea the one in the grave? Is she now the top grave candidate? I love how every episode kind of gives you a new set of endless possibilities for one simple little three-minute top scene. Um, But enough of that, I I just want to finish up my talk about Malcolm saying that no matter what Oliver decides to do, Malcolm was great in this episode, and he actually made some semblance of sense, also. Uh, the, The pain of losing Thea was evident on his face, too, and... Even his acceptance of the possibility was very painful. But that that's what you expect from John Barrowman. He always knocks any character he does out of the park, and he's done no different with Malcolm Merlin. Uh, even sometimes they, they put ridiculous things in Malcolm's mouth, and, and Barrowman still makes it work. And I guess that's a good transition for Thea. Oh, how my heart hurts for poor Thea right now. Um, She had this whole self-sacrifice kick actually going on for a while. Because if you remember, she was going to let Sarah kill her earlier this year because she was willing to accept punishment for killing Sarah, even though it was under Malcolm's influence. And now she's chosen the hardest path of all because she could easily just satisfy the the bloodlust, but she has maintained that she will not do that. And I, I guess as far as Sarah herself goes... Uh, as long as I brought her up, they they did mention that she is back to being complete. So I guess that's an explanation as to why the bloodlust doesn't seem to be affecting her as much. Um, maybe in the Legend series or up to this point. I, I'd still like to see a little wrinkle in that in the future if possible. But anyway, back to Thea. Willa Holland just did a great job. There was a lot of heavy material for Thea this week and especially the the Roy reunion stuff, all of those scenes with Thea and Roy were just, they just got me, you know, it brought back some, some old shipper woes. And that scene right before she got worse, where she, she told Roy that she wished the best for him. And then they had their declaration of love, albeit, I guess, forbidden. It was all very touching and very sad and, and very goodbye. And at the point that it happened, I was just thinking, Oh good. Roy's kind of getting some much deserved closure. But now with what's happened to Thea and her being in the coma, uh, I I wonder if it wasn't more closure for her than for him. And you're kind of left wondering where is the campaign manager guy? I mean, she was trying to build a relationship with him and I understand that Roy has to, um, supersede in this particular moment but I where is uh? what is that guy's name Adam is that his name he's not around when she's in a coma that seems a little weird Um, I still think he's a plant by the way I still think he's a Damien Dark plant I'm going to continue to say that until I'm wrong and then I will say I was wrong Uh, well who cares about Adam because Roy's back dude every scene that Roy was in was just great It was like Colton Haynes had never really left the show. And I'm glad that Roy did get some closure with everyone in Star City because I felt like the season three really kind of short-changed him of that. And uh, it was perfect to have the writers have him come back so that he could get some closure. And every action sequence with, with Roy was fantastic. When he was being forced to work for Calculator, he was total badass um and the chase scene with Oliver was excellent uh even the stuff with 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 Curtis that was excellent I, I thought Curtis was great in that moment too Curtis he held his own there for a couple of seconds love that uh, but of course the huge hero moment for Roy and it just makes you love him all over again was him volunteering Uh, To blow the C4. And I love how they paid that off with him sliding down the rope as the explosion was happening. What a great and fitting kind of last superhero act for Roy. And that was just a great send off for Roy. I absolutely loved it. And of course the whole reason Roy has to do any of this is because he's working for this calculator guy against his will. And... I guess Tom Amendez, I don't really know how to say his name, but I recognize the name and I definitely recognize the face. The way I know him best is from Everwood uh, back in the early 2000s. Yes, I watched that show for a while. Shh, don't tell anyone. But he did pretty good in this role. I did think that his mannerisms and his delivery and everything, um, it seemed a little bit too Damien Dark clone in a way. But still, when you get to the end, the reveal of who he is was fantastic. Now, I I saw on Twitter today how people had said that, you know, the calculator being Felicity's dad theories had been going on for a while, but I had no idea. It it does make perfect sense when you consider kind of the exchange of dialogue between the two of them and both of them having the obvious uh, computer expertise um, that was very Daddy and Daughter. Uh, and it, it probably should have tipped me off while I was watching the episode, but I was still pretty stunned by the reveal at the end. I don't know how long Calculator will be around. I, I don't know how many episodes uh, Tom Amendez or however you say his name, has signed for. But I do remember that in the flash-forward, or the extension of the flash-forward, that Felicity was pretty adamant about Oliver killing whoever put that person in the grave, So could calculator be in the grave? Would she care about daddy that much? Um, if she hadn't found out who he was or could calculator be the guy that she wants Oliver to kill? Could she be that cold about it? Calculator's involvement in this stuff. I I know that's pretty far fetched. I'm just making sure that I cover all the bases as far as that goes. That way, at least one of them I might eventually be right about (laughs) if I say just say it's all possibilities and I name them all then I can go back and I can say see I named that one among the other 3,000 that I named but at least I named it Uh, and then you've got Felicity herself and the whole bit with her handling herself better as far as a wheelchair goes that that was great also I, I did love that scene with her and Curtis when she came back Uh, looking for the firewall bazooka. Man, she was zipping around in that wheelchair. She did a really good job with that. Um, And as usual, she's got all these great quips uh, throughout the whole episode. She's always so funny, and she's always so just amazing to watch. And I even loved it when Oliver, at the beginning, made Thea call her, Overwatch made her call her by her nickname and the way she reacted to that. And Felicity, of course, is just so badass with computers um, that she can even take on her dad, Right, Uh, even though she doesn't know that he's her dad at this point. But the Elicity stuff continues to be great. She's defeating all of her injury demons, and this episode of Felicity is just one more notch in the belt of how amazing the character of Felicity is. And give props to Emily Bett-Rickards for bringing her to life. I don't know how many people do that, but she just does make Felicity totally lovable. In every aspect, it's not just the writing it's it's the way that Emily plays her and i i just I just love felicity um and you know as long as I'm bringing up felicity, I got to go back to Oliver real quick and and talk about the fact that he wanted to meet with Damien Dark to try and save thea um, What could he have possibly offered dark i mean other than himself and I almost feel like that even if he had offered himself, Dark would have found that too easy. Not enough of a challenge. But Dark is getting back in the mayor game. Obviously, he's putting his wife up to the task. And I don't really, you know, if, if they're going to, uh, they're talking about a reset of the human race. Who Who's she going to be the mayor of? What does it even really matter? <laughs> I, I don't know. But uh, I guess we're going to have some uh, mayoral debates somewhere down the line. With all of this. Did I cover everything? I think I did. There's just so much in this episode. It was so dense. And well done. It, it, I, could, I was just flabbergasted by this episode. I guess I, I should try and rate it. While I can still utter a sentence. And I, I just want to say this. The Arrow that I know. And the Arrow that I love. Was really really back this week. This episode had so many great callback characters, it had great action, it had great emotion and drama, it had good humor, just all kinds of great stuff in this episode, and, and I'm sure that, you know, I pointed out maybe a couple of flaws or, or, or dislikes, and I'm sure that other fans might have found more or might have been more vocal about it, but I didn't find it affecting me in the least. The pace of the episode was so fantastic. And the complexity of the episode was so fantastic and yet worked. Um, that I can't give this anything less than a 9. Maybe a 9.1 or a 9.2. It was just an amazing episode. How many times did Matt say amazing this podcast? I don't know. If you count and you send me an email telling me I'll mention you on the podcast. I do have uh, a couple of tweets that I want to get to and the news about the Flash Supergirl crossover next. Feedback. Your thoughts on this week's episodes. So here is the news. Once again, there's going to definitely be a Flash Supergirl crossover episode coming, and it's going to air on March 28th on CBS. Barry is coming to National City. Uh, which kind of brought some attention in a tweet form from our buddy uh, at Michael underscore Aaron on Twitter. And that's tip from the earth's mightiest cast. Be sure to check it out. They cover all of these shows too. He said, uh, man, I am loving how much you are railing on the love stories on Supergirl. You sound like me sans the profanity. And they just confirmed a flash slash Supergirl crossover. Want to bet she develops a thing with Barry <laughs> sure, why not? Uh, I don't even know what you call a six sided uh, object. Uh, a, a pentagon is about all I can uh, keep in mind. But it, it wouldn't surprise me in the least, or have Barry fall for her. Um, yeah, that would seem likely. Barry's kind of vulnerable right now. No Patty around. Although, where was Patty going to go to? school at was she gonna go to national city to go to school could they have patty in the episode too is that possible could patty show up in in some episodes of supergirl i don't remember where somebody tell me where where, uh, or I'll, i'll just go and look later but that would be very interesting just add another fuel into the fire let's make it seven decided love whatever sure it seems like uh, CW mandates getting dumped on CBS this year by all the showrunners of these shows, um, which makes me hate it for Supergirl, but kind of makes me love it for everything else. And that's it for this week's podcast. Remember, if you have any thoughts about any episodes that we're covering, feel free to send an email to Save City Podcast, all one word, at gmail.com, or you can tweet Save City No underscores or anything there on Twitter. Or you can call area code 314-669-1840 and leave a voicemail. Just say what episode you're leaving it for or what podcast you're leaving it for. Because I do use that line for multiple podcasts. But I will play your voicemails and read your emails and read your tweets on the air if you just send them to me. Also, don't forget SaveThisCity.WordPress.com, your one-stop shop for everything where you can get all of these contact links and you can get also get all of the back episodes in streaming or downloadable form. Next week, on Tuesday, we'll be looking at the legends of this particular week, uh, Season 1, Episode 3, Blood Ties, and uh, also looking at Monday's episode of Supergirl, Season 1, Episode 13, for the girl who has everything. Thanks for listening. I appreciate your time and uh, take care. We'll see you Tuesday. Find all back episodes and all contact links at SaveThisCityPodcast.wordpress.com. If you have feedback, you can leave a voicemail by calling 314-669-1840 or send email to save this city podcast at gmail.com or tweet us at save this city pod. please leave the podcast a written review on whatever app that you use